Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to read from that Old Testament account here in just a moment. And as you're finding Second Chronicles chapter 7, I want you to just take a moment and let your imagination run. And I want you to begin to think about the most important person who you would consider to be the most important person in your world right now. If you could think of some person, now natural person, let's exclude the Lord for just a moment. I, I understand. Y'all be so spiritual, you just say, it's the Lord, Pastor, it's the Lord. Okay, I, I will give you that one. But let's talk about an earthly personality or celebrity. Maybe it could be a sports figure. Could be, could be some political figure. Maybe the President uh, of the United States. Maybe another foreign dignitary. I don't know who that might be. But just imagine, just for a moment, who, who in your world right now that you would consider like, like your ultimate could I meet them person. Your ultimate could I, could I somehow visit with them for just a few minutes. Could I get my picture taken with them. Could I, could I somehow just rub shoulders with them for just a moment. Who in your world would that be. And let's just say that this particular person was going to come and visit you at your place. They're going to come to your house. Oh, help us Jesus right now. They're coming, this important, notable figure is coming to your house because they just heard how you're super fan or you're, you're just one of their, their, their greatest supporters. But they're going to come visit you. They're going to spend a little time with you. And I want you just to ask yourself the question, what would you do to prepare for their arrival at your home? What would you do in order to meet them or to greet them properly? Now, appropriately. Now, I know what some of us would say. We do, Well, they're just going to get me like they get me. Well, you know, you don't get it then. What would you do to appropriately greet them and host them? I began to think about what we would go through at our house if we were going to receive a guest of some magnitude. I'm, I'm, I, well, we just wouldn't share all the things that would go on, but we would, we would scurry to get that place in shape and in order. All the things that would need to be done would be, we, we'd be done, the cleaning, the little extra stuff you would do to make sure everything's just right. You'd want to make sure the, the place looked like you would want it to look. I know in my particular household... It would, be, it would be quite an ordeal to pull things together in order to greet this guest of some notoriety or notability. But I want to ask for you, what would you really do? I, I, I mean, if it weren't a game, if it, weren't, if it weren't just a speculation, what would you really do? I would hope and I would think for most of you, there might be a few of you that would get a brain lapse, but for most of you, you would do your very best you would, you would make plans, you would make preparations, you would, you would buy food, get the meal, do the cleanup, do the arranging, mow the lawn, do the edging. You would do everything that would need to be done in order that you could present your best self to this guest or this celebrity that would be coming to visit you. Now, it doesn't take much discernment probably to know where I'm headed. The Spirit of the Lord... I believe, is drawn to those people and individuals that have prepared appropriately for his arrival. 
Now, I understand, you know, and I've said it too, that, you know, God will dwell anywhere. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. He's, he's in the dump at, in Nicaragua. Managua, Nicaragua, the presence of the Lord can come in, in the city landfill. I understand that. I understand he can come to little tin churches in third world countries. I understand that. I understand that God can show up anywhere and everywhere. But understand, I'm just not talking about what it may may entail by way of just the outward aesthetic appearance. I'm talking about, have you prepared appropriately for the presence of the Lord? And that's what I want to talk to you about just a few moments this morning. And I've called the lesson this morning, Excellence and His Presence, or I guess what you would just simply call it, giving God your best. Giving God your very best. Now, I want to read to you out of Second Chronicles. I'm going to read several passages and make mention of a few more this morning. But we're going to find the dedication of Solomon's temple. It really started in chapter 5, and it's a fascinating passage as Solomon finally completes the work that was originally given to his father David in order to build God a dwelling place, a temple, a house. And so Solomon's the one that finally finishes the work. And here in chapter 7, we begin to see towards the end of the dedication ceremony. Some interesting things happened in chapter 5 as well as chapter 6. But I want to read to you here in chapter 7 just a few verses and you can kind of get the flavor of what took place that day as they were dedicating the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It says here in verse 1, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. Now I'd say that in and of itself would make that a rather unique dedication service, wouldn't you? I mean, that's a pyrotechnic show from the throne itself. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. We mentioned last week how the word glory is synonymous for the presence of the Lord, the striking radiance of God, the heaviness of his presence. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because... The glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord was on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground. I bet they did. On the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice. Now listen to this. Of 22,000 bulls. That's a lot of cattle. 22,000. 120,000 sheep. Now that's just King Solomon. We hadn't got to the rest of the folk. That's just the king. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests attended to their services. The Levites also with instruments of music of the music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, for his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings the grain offerings, and the fat. In other words, there wasn't enough fire. The barbecue wasn't big enough in order to throw all the animals and all the other things that would go 
upon that altar. And, and by the way, it was a much larger altar than the one that was originally designed to Moses that followed the tabernacle around. So, so I wanted to use this particular passage and I want to talk to you for just a few moments about his presence again. I told you this morning, I told you last week that this morning I was going to share just a few thoughts I had about the presence of God and, and I want to talk about giving God our very best. This account um, is, as I mentioned, the dedication of the temple, this incredible manifestation of the glory of God which showed up that day. And many, as I've read and studied through the years on these particular passages, I've noticed that many have assumed, and they've assumed wrongly, that God was drawn to this event, this, this amazing event that took place. He was drawn to it because of the incredible opulence and the extravagance by which they offered up their offerings and other ministry that particular day. As I read to you, there were 22,000 cattle. There were 120,000 sheep. We've mentioned in previous teachings how if we were to somehow uh, put a price tag on the temple of Solomon in today's marketplace, it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 750 million, excuse me, billion dollars of temple. Is that not incredible? $750 billion. The gold, the silver, the precious jewels. He brought in all the skilled artisans in order to do the carving absolutely correctly. The musicians, the priests, everybody was there putting together this, this house of the Lord. However, the Bible teaches us, and this is what I began to think about. The Bible teaches us that not only did God's glory come on this particular day with this particular dedication service, even in this particular extravagant, opulent scenario, but the Bible also tells us that when Moses constructed the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, and they began to create what they could with the things that they had taken out of Egypt with them, and they created the tabernacle, the, the, the mobile house of the Lord, so to speak, that we also read that there were numerous times that his presence would show up to that as well. I started to think about how his presence at times would show up and it came out of the burning bush and all there was was this bush that was, was on fire but yet it wasn't consumed. The presence of God or the glory of God came even on Moses' face but it had to be veiled and so the glory showed up on his face. I think of the time that David, and I'll mention it here again in just a few minutes, was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines and uh, they had some trouble and it, and it started to rock at Nacon's threshing floor and, and there was a Levite that was struck dead at that particular moment and David got irritated and he left the ark there at the house of Obed-Edom and, and that house was just a house. I mean, it was just a dwelling place for a man and his family. But the Bible tells us that for several months as the ark remained there at the house of Obed-Edom that the glory of the Lord or the presence of the Lord would manifest there in the midst of that household and David would come back and he eventually came back and got it and he brought it into Jerusalem. And many of you know the story. He set it up in his own backyard. Didn't have a place to put it. Just kind of put it under a makeshift tent under his own backyard. And kind of put together musicians and singers and other things out in his backyard. And the Bible says that the glory of the Lord would show up there in the backyard of David. And the point that was starting to just rise up in my spirit was the point that there were extravagant places, there were opulent places, 
and yet there were also many humble places and lowly places and out-of-the-way places and on-the-other-side-of-the-track kind of places where God's presence or His glory would begin to show up. And so I began to ask myself the question, then what is it that, that seems to draw Him or, or what is at least one of the things that begins to woo His presence into my life and into the life of our gathering? And I began to see that God's presence, His glory is not drawn exclusively, listen to me now, exclusively to the glitz or the gold and maybe even the extravagance or the expensiveness of what is brought, listen to me carefully, but God's presence is drawn to those people and to those places that he knows are giving him their very best. Now, you need to hear me really carefully right now because you can miss the entire thing of what I'm trying to teach right now. And and you've really got to get this in your system that on the day of this dedication with Solomon in his temple, the issue wasn't the price tag. The issue was, was it your best? You see, because truth of the matter is your best and my best are probably going to look a little bit different. And here's the interesting part is is that we play games with whether or not we're giving God the best. And and this is the other interesting thing. We can fool one another, but we can't fool him who knows whether it's the best or not. And so we've got to begin to understand that he is drawn to people and to an individual whom he sees, he knows, are giving them their very best. Now, I want to show you something really interesting. I want to read out of Malachi And again, some of this will be familiar to many of you, but if you turn over to Malachi chapter 1, I'm not preaching on giving, so just put your defenses down, all right? We're not talking about your money. We took the offering, it's over. We're not talking about offering. In fact, I'm not, money plays a part in it, and I know that gets taught a lot sometimes, but we'll just set that over to the side, all right? So everybody can just take their deep breath and relax for just a minute. Because there's a lot more to this than just your money. A whole lot more. And in the book of Malachi chapter 1, God begins to deal with his people in this particular time and he he really rebukes them. The voice of the Lord comes. It'll be the last time he speaks for over 400 years and he begins to speak some things to them that are very important. Listen to what he says. Malachi 1 verse 6 says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Now, now you've got to understand why he's saying this. Hear me. It's, it's so relevant to today. If we say that Jesus is Lord, which means he's master. If we say that he is Lord of our life, he is the master, then this is what he says. If I'm master, then why ain't you acting like I'm the master? That's what he's beginning to zero in on him. He said, you, don't, you can't call me master and then just do things that irritate the master. I mean, if I'm master, then I'm master. See, Jesus, remember, is no figurehead king. I watched the other day the, the recent movie that came out about the Queen of England. And you know, in some ways, the Queen of England is just a figurehead queen. There's a lot of things that take place in the, uh, the United Kingdom by way of democracy. And they, they go through certain traditions. And, and they certainly give her deference and honor and the things that needed to be given to her. But, but in all reality, she's just this figurehead. 
that they just kind of keep going because they like to have a queen. Well, that's not Jesus and how he works. Jesus doesn't need your deference. He needs your obedience. And, and this is what he's beginning to deal with here. He says, he says uh, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. You say, in what way have we despised your name? He says, you offer defiled food on my altar. But then say, in what way have we defiled you? All right. The table of the Lord is contemptible, is what you're saying. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Or he says, offer it to some earthly person. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor. Entreat God's favor. He's saying, draw me into this equation. Cry out for me to get into your situation. There are some of you here this morning, you are in situations, listen to me. I love you, God loves you, we all love you. Loving you isn't the issue. You need God in your situation. You need to entreat God's favor. People love me, but there are times you all can love me and just love me, love me, love me. But I'll just be honest with you, as much as you love me and I appreciate it, I don't need your love, I need God in my situation. Are you with me? I'm glad you love me. I love you too. But loving one another, as great as that is, doesn't pull God into the equation. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably? The people are doing, listen, this is what I always liked about this particular passage. The people are doing what they do spiritually they're they're going through all the motions of what it means to be spiritual in this particular day they were going to the temple they were offering sacrifices they were going through all the particular rituals that would take place surrounding the temple activity being very religious very dutiful all of that was going on at that particular time it would be the same analogy for us today if we were to say you know i'm coming to church I'm, I'm singing a song, I'm praying the prayers, I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. So the issue was not that they weren't doing the right things, but the issue was that they weren't giving the best of themselves to what they were doing. Are you with me? The result was that God looked at it, he looked at the activity, and he says, that doesn't move me. Just because there's activity doesn't mean he has to move. He says, I'm not going to favor you just based on your activity. I'm not going to give you graciousness just because of activity. My presence doesn't have to manifest just because you all came. Now, hear me again. I'm glad you're here. I think you've come to the best place you can be at. We need to keep gathering together. Don't mistake what I'm trying to say, but, but hear this. Just because we gather doesn't obligate him to manifest. And so we need to understand that that we've got to begin to give God our best. We can go through the motions. We can do the things we're supposed to be doing. We can put all the elements of church or religion together. But if we aren't giving God our very best, and I'm here to say that only you at times will know that, but if we're not giving him his best, we forfeit his presence. We forfeit his favor. We forfeit his graciousness. Listen, I was thinking about this. You know, Jesus said when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. How many of you can quote that with me? Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord thy God. What? With all thy heart, 
All thy mind, all thy soul, and all thy what? All thy what? One more time, what? Now, I want you just to meditate on that for just a minute. Strength. Love him with all my strength. He said, that's the greatest command. The greatest command upon every... He said, everything else. And then he went on to say, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. He said, but everything hangs on that. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. I started to think about strength. Because I really never just stopped and meditated, maybe on all those words, but I I began to just dwell on strength. I believe when we love God with all our strength, what that means is, it means that we're giving God our very best, all we've got. You know, it's interesting because in the era in which you and I live, the time period we live, we have turned certain concepts into very self-consuming or selfish things. Let me give you an example. For instance... Let's just talk about the word love. You know what love means? This is what love means in our current society. As long as you meet my needs, make me feel good, and everything is going my direction, I love you. That's what it means in our day and age. Because we fall in love, we fall out of love. There's something that's going on that's good, then we love it. But if it's not going good, then love just sort of flies away. And so we, we have turned a concept that God said was critical, we've turned it into this self-consuming kind of a thing. If it, you, you know, you hear it even when kids are dating with each other. Maybe a boy will look at a girl and say, if you love me, no. You need to look at them, ladies, and say, no, if you love me, you just stay there. <laughs> you love me. That's love. And, and so what happens is we, we develop these concepts in our culture, and then we try to translate them to God. And this is what the interesting thing is. As long as God's blessing us and helping us and doing good things for us and making our life smooth and easy and opening doors and giving us promotions and healing, and as long as God's doing that, oh, we love the Lord. But boy, you, you take a tough moment or a difficult moment or... If you just decide you don't even want to do everything he's asked you to do, and all of a sudden it gets tough, then we say to ourselves, well, where's God? Well, God's the same place you left him. And he's wanting you now to give him your strength, all your strength. You see, love is not a feeling, it's an action. If you love your spouse, if you love your kids, what you do is you give that relationship your strength. You give that relationship your energy. You just can't go into a marriage or into a family and say, yeah, I love everybody, I love everybody, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That's not love. And it's not love with God either. You can't say to the Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That's not love. You've got to give some energy to it. And so, and so I want to just talk for a moment about what it means to give God your best, and I want to clear up some confusion about excellence, because Excellence is the word I'm using here, but excellence, and you can write this one down, excellence, excellence simply means this. It is giving God the best you can give him. And it may not be exactly what I can give him. It may not be what your neighbor can give him. It may not be what your spouse can give him. It may not be what your kids can give him. But all that matters is are you giving him the very best you can give him, and if you are, then that becomes excellence. Excellence. But there's always these tangents, these confusions or aberrations that need to be cleared up when we begin to talk about giving God our best. So I want to share just a couple of things 
So I can weed that out to get to just the last, I think, three things I want to mention. Number one is this. The Lord is not expecting out of you perfect performance. Isn't that good news? It's good news for me. Excellence, listen to me, does not equal errorlessness. When you're excellent, it doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes, you can't get snagged, you won't trip along the way. So we're not talking about perfect performance. Nobody can be perfect in anything. But the Lord, listen to me, does expect us as individuals and as a people to offer him the best we can give. Now, we've grasped, most of us here in this room, I suspect, have grasped the concept of how we need to give the Lord our sins. We give him our sins in order that he might give us his righteousness. We, we, we understand, you know, uh, doctrine 101, which salvation is. You know, I, re- I confess and repent of my sins, lay them upon his finished work at the cross. He gives me his righteousness. That's a good deal. Most of us have that one in our system. But here's the deal. We, we not only are to give God our dirty laundry, so to speak, our sins, but he is looking for some offerings from you and me. He's looking for some of the good stuff. Yes, he's looking for some of the, the finances that he graciously allows us to enjoy and create and work for. He wants our devotion. He wants our time. There are all sorts of things that he's looking for in order that we might begin to demonstrate our love. You know, How would you like it if you love somebody and all they do is come and give you all the cruddy, negative stuff of their life? After a while, you go, I don't know that I like this. I may stick with you because I, I do love you and I'm committed to you, covenanted with you, but I don't have, I just, I don't like that. I often wonder how God feels when we toss the sins upon him, which he will gladly receive, but we never want to get to the place where we say, God, I'm not only going to give you my dirty laundry and my screw ups and my mess ups, but now I want to give you the best. I want to give you everything I've got. I'm going to give you my life. It's the, really the best thing I've got. My life Let me tell you, your life in God's hand is better than a jet ski, a boat, a second, third, fourth house. It's better than your cars. It's better than anything. Your life is the best thing you could offer him. And that's what he's looking for. He's not looking now for perfection, but he is looking for the best we can offer him. And again, we're not talking about perfect performance, but the very, very best we have. Secondly, you must remember that each person must introspect themselves in this regard carefully what do i mean by that well i have found through the years there's always two groups of people there's the first group of people that as i'm even sharing this right now there's a group of people in the room this morning who are hyper introspective the guilt is crawling you already you're always looking and you're never measuring up i mean you are of the personality type or the disposition where you never feel like you measure up and 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 it could be you are giving god your very best but but because you're just of that hyper introspective nature you you look at yourself and and all of a sudden one more time you feel like oh great i got another i got another i got another rung to the ladder i've got to try to climb up i've 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 got to do this again and i'm never going to make it i'm never going to do it and so i know i have a group right now that would probably instantly introspect themselves and begin to ask themselves the question, am I giving God my best? And you can always find an area in your life that you ain't giving him your best. It's easy for you because you're really acutely aware of that. And so my heart is not to to add another burden or yoke to those feelings that you may carry. 
But the reason I have to share this is because there's a second group. And that is you rarely introspect. To be candid with you, you introspect everyone else in the room but you. And probably at this moment, you're thinking of five or six or seven people that probably you're saying, I hope they're listening. And you don't realize at the same time, God's looking at you saying, time out just a moment. Before you start looking around, you've got to look inside yourself. And, and you've got to be sure that, that you're, not, you're not somehow dodging the Holy Ghost internally, trying to somehow get out of maybe that next level of, of aspiration or calling or wooing that God may be bringing to your life. So we've got to get honest before God. And you see, that's the key, is that everybody's got to get honest before the Lord. Because when we stand before God one day, and when he begins to hand out his reviews of our life, we're not going to be able to stand there and kind of nudge up next to the Lord and say, hey, I'm going to help you out here because I know some of these people, Lord, have not done all that well. So we can kind of, I can help you kind of cut down your judgment here. No, that's not how it's going to work. You're going to stand before God and he's going to zero in on you and he's going to know what you refuse to see. And so it all ends up being perfect. But we've got to get honest with ourselves before God when it comes to are we, are we giving him our best. So we've got to be sensitive in this area. Number three, which really piggybacks on that, is being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in this particular area. Nobody can be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have people that will keep you accountable. It doesn't mean that there won't be people who will obviously look at you because God uses other people to challenge us, to, to, to call to us, to consider where we are, what we're going. There's always been prophets in the scripture. You've got pastors and teachers and, you know, there's, there's all sorts of ways we interact with each other which are appropriate. But, but the point I'm trying to make here is this, is I don't want to loose this sheriff spirit that suddenly you think that you got the badge from the Lord to be somebody's Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever tried to be the Holy Spirit for someone else. I, I have made that mistake on occasion. And, and it doesn't work. Listen to me very carefully. Everybody here, if you're walking before God, is in a season of life. Some of you are young parents and you have children and you're in a season of life. And, and I'm here to tell you, young children can consume a lot of your life. And, and, and so that's a season that you won't always have, but it's an important season. And so there, you know, sometimes it's difficult because you've got to pack half the house, you know, to get out and go down the road. And I understand that. It's just, it's not easy. I know, I know some of you in the room, you have particular schedules. You work swing shifts. You work, you work odd hours because that's just the way the job's set up. And, and you'd like to change it. You can't change it. But that's a season of your life. And, and, and God's working with you in that season. And so understand... You know, we, we, we've, got, we've got to ask ourselves, Lord, have you placed me here? And, and are you working in me here? But you've got to be honest to say, Lord, where I'm at in the season I'm in, do I know myself before you being honest? I'm giving you the best I know I can give you. I know, I know I'm giving you the best I can give you. And, and you've got to let the Holy Spirit begin to work on you. Because ultimately, only you really know if that's true or not. Now, let me give you right now what it means to give God your best. This is the part we're trying to get to. This was the part the Lord started to talk to me about. You say, the Lord, Pastor, was talking to you about giving your best? Yep. Because just because 
Maybe, maybe, maybe if you evaluate it in human terms, I don't know. Maybe you would look at a pastor and say, well, golly, you know, you're, you're already 10 steps ahead of maybe, maybe the average normal person. Well, that may be, but just being 10 steps ahead of you doesn't mean I'm giving God my very best. Are you with me? Just because you're one step ahead of your friendship group doesn't mean you're giving God your best. Being one step ahead of whoever it is you're with may just make you a little closer to the top of the hole everybody's in. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Just so don't measure yourself by everybody who's around you. Measure yourself by what God's beginning to do inside of you. I I mean, if we're going to measure ourselves by the state of American Christianity, I'm just here to tell you. Whoa, we can't do that. What does it mean to give God your best? One of our favorite shows that we, we just watch because it has a lot of really valuable points in it is that we've been watching the show The Biggest Loser. Anybody here watch The Biggest Loser about people losing weight? We, we kind of watch that. It's an interesting show. And it's interesting how, um, especially when a new season starts, how everybody comes to this this ranch, this camp, as they go through this game, it's sort of a, a game to lose weight, and you're broken up into teams, and they give you trainers, and, and the trainers work with you, and they work with your diet, and they work with your exercise, and the, the whole key to it is who's losing the most weight, and who's being the most diligent, and it's interesting that when everybody comes, and whenever they have the call that goes out for people to apply in order to be a part of this show... They have thousands and thousands of people. It's a lot like American Idol. I mean, they have thousands of people who want to show up and participate. And it's interesting that everybody who comes to the ranch wants to, has a desire to, and know that they need to lose some weight and kind of get their life in that area back in order again. But it's interesting that as they start the process and as they begin their exercise routines and, and you know, everybody starts out of the blocks pretty good and... And, and everybody's, you know, motivated. But you get two, three, you know, four days under your belt. And you got trainers yelling at you. And, and you're working muscles you've never worked before. And you're cutting portions down. And all the things that have to take place in order to achieve the particular goals you're looking for in this area. It can be a rather challenging, discouraging, or depressing, or whatever it is. It can be one of those types of events. And... One of the things that I just chuckle at, of course, it's easy for me, you know, <laughs> as I'm eating my bonbon and, you know, sipping my Coke and my Lazy Boy watching The Biggest Loser. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny to me how there comes a moment, these trainers, I mean, they just, they get in their grill. And as they're in their grill, they are, they are screaming and yelling at him. Now, understand, there's a lot of motivation, a lot of positive vibes that happen, but there are these moments that the people who are working are saying, I, I'm, I've done all I can do. I can't do any more. There's no way I can do this. And, and the trainers, sometimes they're on the ground, and, and they're all on the ground, and they're in their face going, you can do more. You can give it some more. You can do this. You can do that. And, and oftentimes they do, and, and they are amazed. They are amazed at what is really inside of them when, when someone has the ability to look at them and say, push yourself maybe just a little bit. Just, just, just kind of get a little energy, extra energy in there. You may be surprised at what takes place. And I want to share that I, I just believe there is more and there is better in most of us spiritually than what gets seen. Amen. 
So I'm your trainer for just another 10 minutes maybe this morning. Because I'm telling you there are some, there are some challenges I think we can give ourselves under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to begin to pull out some things from us that will get us to some desired goals. Can I just suggest to you that if we're going to hit destiny and if we're going to fulfill God's purpose and if we're going to see his goodness and if we're going to walk in all that he has for us and if he's a good God and he can just absolutely favor us and, and grace us and release his goodness towards us, and yet we haven't seen it, then maybe we've hit a plateau that we're going to have to press through. Now, I'm not going to be your Holy Ghost or your personal Savior. But I can be a voice that just can be used for a moment by God to maybe trigger something in you that says, you know what, maybe, maybe it's time for me to press through into that, that next level. You know, it's interesting to me. Christians in third world areas, third world countries do not have a tenth of what we enjoy here in the American church. Yet is it not interesting that while we get to worship in, in, in fairly pleasant surroundings, we enjoy all the technologies and things that are here, and I'm grateful for them, and they're wonderful to use in order to communicate to you. But despite all the stuff we have in America, they have, if you go to a foreign country, and, and you meet up with believers, true believers... They have exponentially more of God's presence than we have in America. And yet they meet in exponentially less than we have. Why is that? Why is it that they don't have a tenth of the money? They don't have a tenth of the opportunity. They don't have any of the stuff we have. And yet God shows up there, but he isn't showing up here. Can I give just a brief viewpoint from me? When you've got people I know outside in Los Cedros, Nicaragua, who are walking 10 miles by foot to get to church in order to be with fellow believers and in the presence of God, you know what? They gave the best they had. But dear God, if it rains on a Sunday in America, are you with me now? I'm not crawling your case, I'm just saying, let's ask ourselves some questions. Are we giving God our best? Their best there is different from our best. Your best is different than my best. But the key is God expects whatever our best really is. He's not asking us to bear a burden we can't bear. He's not asking us to carry a yoke that we weren't designed to carry. He's not just trying to bury us in work. I understand there's some fine lines here, but there's some honesty also that has to get declared from time to time that we need to say, Lord, am I really doing my best? Well, yeah, then I know what some will say. Well, yeah, I'm doing my best. And, 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 and we'll go down our list of all the things, you know, well, between, yeah, Lord, I'm giving you all I got, you know, between my, my TV time and my, my, my hobby time and, my, you know, soccer and football and ballet and dance and piano and, and Lord, I'm giving you all I got. Are you with me? Are you getting where I'm going? What's really, what's really giving God our best? See, it's not about dollars. It's about all of your life. Are you giving him all you got? Let's, let's just take an example. Like when you pray. Are you giving him all you got? Is, is he getting your best when you pray? Is he, is he getting just two minutes and that's the best you got is two minutes? Or, or maybe could you find ten minutes somewhere? Are you giving him your best? Are you giving him your best when you worship? Are you coming and you're saying, well, yeah, worship God, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Or are you, are you giving him everything you got when you worship? What about when you serve? What about when you're with your family? What about when you're listening to the word as it's being shared with you? What about in your priorities and as you're looking at your life and you're prioritizing your life? Are you giving him your best? When you're scheduling things, are you giving him your best? Are you giving God your best when it comes to spiritual issues in your life? I'm not going to meddle in your life and tell you what you should or should not do or what you should or should not participate in. I mean, ultimately, you're going to have to wrestle those things out. But I can look at you and say, are you really giving him your best in this area? Are you really? Now, I want to give you just three considerations, and I'm done this morning, in giving God your best. These are just three things I want you to consider because I so want God's presence in my life. I so want the presence of God to just land on me and favor me. I so want God to do things that can only be ascribed to him. And the Lord started asking me, are you giving me your best? The best you have, or am I getting what they were giving me here at the end of Malachi. So there are three things I want you to consider. Number one, I think in order to give God our best, we have to put away a leftover mentality. Put away the leftover mentality. Don't give God the scraps of your life. Don't give him scraps. Don't always give him the time that is left. Well, God, I, I love the Lord and I, I serve God and I give him time. Yes, you give him time, but you always give him whatever time is left over. Don't give him your energy that's left over. Why do we give him everything that's left over? I mean, I, I, this is what I believe. I, I, I believe we shouldn't give him our finance that's left over. That's why the tithe is called the first fruit. Because we don't give him that which is left over. We give him the first fruit. God wants, I believe, the first fruit of our lives. We worship on the first day of the week. You know why we do it? Because we're not going to worship God with the leftover part of the week. This is the first day of the week, early in the morning, we come in, we're giving him the first thing of our lives this week. He wants that first fruit. He wants the best part of our day. Now, I understand everybody's day can be different, and I'm not real legalistic on what hour of the day you may, you know, pray or have your devotional times or things like that. I'm not going to get legalistic on you, but here's my question. Is he getting the best, or is he just getting what's left over? I'm amazed at times, just as I function in life, at the expectation of other arenas of life. Let me give you an example. I can remember years ago, and this was years ago, this was when we were in California, I decided that I was going to join a civic organization in the city of Oakland. And it was an opportunity for me to meet businessmen and other people, and I thought that might be a good thing. And so I joined this particular civic organization, and you would know it if, if I were to mention it to you. And, um, and so I went through all the hoops that they have in order to join. It's a service organization. Nothing wrong with it. They do a good work. Nothing wrong with it. But I remember there were several things at church by way of schedule that started to get in conflict with what the service organization was doing. And I'll never forget, the, the vice president of that organization called me up one day on the telephone. And uh, he said, well, we noticed you haven't been here for two weeks. Well, that's, that's, that's true. I've, I've had certain issues here within the church and the congregation that needed some immediate attention, and I was doing it. Well, that's not good enough. Really? No, this is our expectation. I mean, the dude, this is a service organization. I mean, he reamed me. And I'm sitting there, I hung up the phone, and I thought to myself, Lord, have mercy. If we were to do that in the, in the church, 
We trim the ranks in a hurry. But I am absolutely amazed at how that was a legitimate expectation in this service organization in California. I am constantly amazed at how a coach of an athletic team can issue a dictate and families, they just scramble. Amen. Just this guy's coaching. He makes a dictate and it's, oh dear God, we're going to arrange, we're going to move heaven and earth in order for this to happen. I mean, we don't even blink. I mean, it's at work too. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. All they have to do is say one word and we just, and that's how we are. Can I, can I just share something we've decided to do in our house? And I, I understand it may not work everywhere. And again, I can only speak for me and my household. But, but since at least I've been saved and, and, and since about age 19 and then marrying and then having a family with the boys and Kalen, we, we've kind of worked under this philosophy. And that is we always do our best to accommodate whatever it is that they would like to do, the kids would like to do or we'd like to do and what other people's schedules are and how they're working all of that has been. But you know what? We have in our house on numerous more occasions than I can count, we have challenged we have decided in a nice, good, joyful, optimistic way, we've challenged the systems of this world. If there have been moments that there have been things that have been scheduled that interfere with what we consider to be a priority, we'll challenge it. And we'll just say, is there any way maybe we can work around this? Is there any way maybe we can look at this and maybe go at it another different way? We've done that in jobs as well. I've looked at my boys, both of my boys, when they've been working. And, and there have been times we've, we've had to accommodate, but there have been a lot of times I said, why don't you just go in and ask your boss? And let's see what they say. Why don't we give God a chance? Why don't we just try it? And it has been amazing to me how many times when you want to give God your best and you challenge the systems of this world and you put yourself out there and not walk in fear I mean, what are they going to do? They, they could say no. Well, and if they say no, then that's a bridge you'll have to cross. But I have been amazed at how many times, if you'll let God work in that, that God will show up and favor you. Yes, he will. And I have yet to have anybody in my household, including myself, get fired, look for a job, and get cut from a team or anything else because we were trying to give God our best. Amen. I understand we're swimming upstream, but you've got to get in the stream and start swimming. Because ultimately, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, this is my particular viewpoint. Whether or not my kids make it to the NBA, the NFL, or the major leagues, whether or not they get to do these other things and they're celebrities or on TV or all the other things that I might want for them, the biggest issue in my life is will they get to heaven? That's the biggest issue in my life right now. Because this life is just a grain of sand on the beaches of this universe compared to what eternity will be like. And that's my issue. That's my job. I want you in heaven. Maybe you won't be. Maybe you won't be this or that. We're going to believe God for however God's going to work it. But we've got to understand if we want God to favor, then we've got to put ourselves in a position. And that is we've got to put away leftover mentalities. Now, again, I'm not going to be your Holy Ghost. Hear me now. I'm not going to be your Holy Ghost. 
I don't want to be your Holy Ghost. You do what you got to do. But I, I do what I have to do. And, and we've seen great blessing with regards to that. Put away the leftover mentality. Number two, we got to stretch ourselves at times. Have you ever stretched yourself a little bit? And just, it, it, it's, it's like the trainer looking at the dude that says he's, he's run as far as he can run. Well, no, maybe you got two steps. Just challenge yourself a little bit. Stretch yourself. You've heard the old saying, if you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. So if you think you're going to get somewhere doing just what you've been doing, then I, I, I don't want to be a discouragement to you, but that's unlikely. You must push yourself to eclipse the last line of your life that was defined as that's my best. That's my best. That's all I can do. That's my best. God wants all your strength. At what point, folks, what point do we refuse to accept average Christianity? What point do you say to yourself, you know what, I understand how everyone else lives and what everyone else gets to do. And this is usually what the normal average Christian does. They look at someone else and this is what they say. They say, well, if they can do it, why can't I? Or if they get away with it, why can't I? Or if that's all they do, why, why, do, why should I do anymore if that's all they do? I, I'm here to look at you and say this. They're going to answer to some things that I don't want to answer to. I'm going to give God my very best because I want things to go on in my life that have never happened before. I, I wrote down here, I have no problem, for instance, with my children getting a C at school. A C means average. I've got no problem with my kids getting a C at school as long as I know that they've done really their best. Really. Now, I know they come home and say, I did my best. No, you didn't do your best. Because I've been watching you in front of the TV how long and how much on the phone. And I no, I got the picture. Because the picture is when you give your best, you rarely get a C. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just it's just interesting how there's correlations to other things. So we got to stretch ourselves at times. Amen. I'm assuming your quietness it means you're really listening. Aren't you? <laughs> then number three. This is it. I don't have 10 here. Just number three. You got to become deaf to the flesh. You got to get deaf to your flesh. Your flesh, man, will always try to talk you out of things. Well, you know, you just can't do that. You can't do that now. You just can't do that at all. That's just not you. Your flesh, man. It's amazing how your flesh, man, can overcome your inner man when it comes to those voices. It's interesting. I'm just going to read you what Jesus said because, you know, Jesus, I don't, I don't have to mess you up. Jesus will mess you up good enough. Okay, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. I just want you to listen to what Jesus said. Have mercy. Be, be glad Jesus isn't your pastor. I just say that. It said, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You, you know what that assumes is, how bad do you really want to come? Verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Can you imagine? It's a good thing I didn't say that. He said, you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom 
of God. Now, I read these verses to you in order to underscore this one particular point. Jesus is looking at people, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, are you really ready to give it your best? Are you really ready to have your whole life challenged as to what you consider to be a priority and allowing me to reprioritize those things in your life? Are you beginning to hear that and see that? That's what he's saying. These things aren't bad. These things aren't evil. These things have their place. But Jesus says, at what point do I get first choice? At what point does Jesus get first choice? And not third, fifth, eighth, tenth, or what's left over. You see, your flesh is rarely going to feel like being spiritual. I have never had my flesh really tell me to be spiritual. My flesh has told me to watch the ball game, yes. My flesh has told me to go to marble slab. Yes, it has. My, my, my flesh has told me to, to go and eat the all-you-can-eat spaghetti at Olive Garden. Yes, my flesh has told me that. I've heard that. I've heard the woo of my flesh. My flesh, it's amazing what your flesh will tell you to do. Your flesh will talk to you like crazy. But your flesh will rarely tell you it's time to pray. Your flesh will rarely tell you, let's get up and seek God today. Your flesh will rarely say, you know what? You want God to move in some finance. Why don't you release a little bit more? I don't know. My flesh just doesn't say that to me all that often. Maybe your flesh talks to you different. Maybe you got your flesh real spiritual. But my flesh, it's amazing how it'll always chirp to me that there's something else that can trump what God may be wanting to do in my life. And all I'm asking of you this day is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Nobody's coming to your house to look at your schedule. Nobody's going to condemn you. Nobody's going to make you feel guilty except the Spirit of God. Because I don't want your life. I have enough on my own plate with the ones in my household. To make sure we as Bairds are giving it our best. Our best. And there may be some of you that look and think we ain't giving it our best. And I don't care what you think. Any more than you should care what I think. But we all ought to care what God thinks. Amen. Really, are you giving him your best? Really. Really. So you're going to have to be deaf to the flesh. Wow, I talked a lot longer than I thought. I always do. I'm going to be done. This is, I got to finish with this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just share with you. I'm going to have to, I can't read it to you. I'm going to share it with you. The, the greatest shortcut story in the Bible is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, probably 6, 7, and 8, 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's when David comes to the throne. I mentioned this earlier. He comes to the throne. And he knows that Jerusalem will never be all that it can be and the natural kingdom of Israel will never be all that it can be unless they go to the Philistine camp and they get the ark back that was stolen. And as you'll recall, it was stolen uh, when uh, Eli's sons acted corruptly in the house of the Lord and, and through that whole event. And, and so now David says it's time to bring the ark of the Lord back. And so he goes after the ark of the Lord in the Philistine camp, defeats the Philistines, that's the good news. But it's interesting, he's trying to bring, understand when you're bringing the ark back, what that is in New Testament terms and pictures is he's, he's attempting to bring back the presence of God into his, his kingdom, his life, his situation, and in the midst of the people. He desires the presence of God. Can everyone say, that's a good desire, isn't it? To get the presence of God back. 
But here's the problem. What he did was, when it came time to bring the ark back, instead of bringing it back the way it was supposed to be brought back, what he did was he got him a, a cart like the Philistines used in order to get it out. He decided he was going to get him a cart and just throw it on the cart, and they were going to just kind of hurry up the process. And uh, there was a little music that happened. If you'll read the account, they did put some musicians out front um, because everybody needs a little music to walk by. You know, whenever you're going down the road, it's always good to have a little music going. So he had a little music as they're going down the road, but there was no sacrifices that were happening. There really wasn't much of anything what we would define as spiritual going on, except that, that you know, they were trying as quickly as possible to get the ark back. It was a quick method. Maybe they were good-spirited. They were just trying to help the Lord out. But they hit Nacon's threshing floor. And apparently it, it was a place that was rugged. It made the, the carts begin to wobble and the arks beginning to wobble on the cart. And uh, Uzzah, one of the Levites, who really probably knew better than to, than to bring the ark back into Jerusalem that way because there was a, a, a proper way the Levites were to usher in the ark of the Lord. And in order, again, probably to be helpful, as he's seeing the ark kind of wobble on that cart, he puts his hands up and tries to stop the wobbling, and instantly he dies right there. David sees that. Something rises in David. I, I personally feel like it's anger, irritation. And he says, if this is what happens, how is the ark going to come to me if this is... And he's really getting irritated with God. Well, if this is, if this is what you do, God, how's, how's this going to work with me? And so he just decides he's going to pout. And he just leaves the ark there at Obed-Edom. And he leaves it there for several months. The interesting thing is the ark is left there for several months. The house of Obed-Edom, it says, is favored and it's blessed. That's the presence of the Lord. That's what the presence of the Lord will do. Well, here's David after a couple months looking down the road at Obed-Edom and he's seen the blessing of the Lord and the favor of the Lord. And it's an amazing thing how his presence, his favor, his graciousness can arrest your attention after a while. And he sees it and he says, you know, I, 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 need, I need his presence still. And so this time he goes and it's different. He doesn't try to figure out how he can get the express lane in order to get him in. He doesn't figure out how he can, he can cut down on all the energy and all the things that would need to happen. No, David comes differently this time. He comes and he puts the ark on the back of Levites. There were six on each side, three, 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 and, and, and they would begin to carry the ark. And every six paces, every six paces, they would stop and they would sacrifice. And then they'd take another six paces. And they'd stop and they would sacrifice. And I mean, they were killing animals left and right. Six paces. I mean, we're talking about walking at least a good 10 miles, maybe up to 20 miles. Every six paces. You'd stop and you'd sacrifice. How many of you know you're losing a lot of animals at six paces, sacrificing 20 miles? They had the musicians playing like they've never played before. Until finally they get to Jerusalem. And as they're walking into Jerusalem, David, who no longer, and I'm assuming this, but just thinking about how it was on an ark or it was on a cart before the ark was and how they were quickly moving it, I suspect before he was probably riding a horse as a king would ride and he was moving into the kingdom, but not this time. This time he was off his horse and he was worshiping God before the procession. I mean, he'd worshiped God so heartily that he'd worked himself into a mid, 
uh, Mideastern sweat until he'd sweated his ephod and he'd sweated through all of his clothes and his toga or whatever you call that stuff. I mean, he'd sweated through the whole deal till he was down to his shorts. We used to call them skivvies. And his wife was looking out the window, and this is what she says. She says, oh my, how the king has distinguished himself today. You know, it wasn't an endearing remark. Because David was just worshiping God. And this is what David said. He said, that's right. You just keep watching. Because I will distinguish myself even more before the Lord. And I started to just look at that whole scenario again. And it finally dawned on me. The whole deal can be synopsized with this. That God came when David finally decided to give him his best. That was his best. I don't care how, how pure your motive are. You may be pure motive. Dave, I'm giving David the benefit of the doubt. He, he was pure motive to want to bring that ark back to Jerusalem. That was a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. Wanting to get it back quickly, as swiftly as possible. How many of you know, we're all real economical. Can we do this cheaper? Can we do this better? Can we do this more economically? We've reached the place where we have become so economic in our spirituality that we've economic God right out of the equation. And finally, David got it. He just said, I want God so bad. I want his presence in my life so much. I want his favor. I want his graciousness. I want all the blessing, but I, I'm going to have to give him my best. And to be candid, despite beating the Philistines, despite putting the ark on the cart, getting it back, despite all of my motives, truth of the matter was, I wasn't giving him my best. That was David's best. What's your best? What's your best? I really want you to say, Lord, Lord, I, I'm going to give you my best. Because right now, some of you right now, I haven't, I haven't meddled once. Can you at least say amen to that? Because I haven't. I haven't meddled in anybody's life. But the Holy Spirit's meddling right now. And he's meddling with you and he's saying, this area, you're not giving me your best in. This area, you're not giving me your best in. And I'm telling you, here's the issue. If it's the Holy Spirit, he's not drawing you to another burden. He's drawing you to God's favor. He's drawing you to God's graciousness. He's drawing you to some supernatural things if you give him your best, your very best. Would you stand with me? Thanks, Lord. That I know there's a good number of folk here today that are really serious about you and they're, they're wanting to give you their very best. And Holy Spirit, you are always so faithful in this regard in talking to us in exactly the way that only you can do it. And so you are at liberty, Spirit of God, to work in the hearts of men and women. There are boys and girls that are here this morning. And begin to challenge them on, on what it means in their life to give you the very best they've got. Lord, I know some here, because as a pastor, I recognize people's schedules and challenges. I know there are people here, that they're working hard to pay their bills. Lord, they're, they're busy people with responsibilities. You've placed men in, in, in great arenas of responsibility that they just they can't let go. And Lord, I understand this is a tricky thing in, in, in life at times. But Lord, it's worthy of the challenge to let you come to us and say, 
Are you giving me your best? Your best. Your very, very best. Are we praying our best? The time that we give you, is it our best? The service, is it our best? Lord, are we, are we really doing our best? Are we putting energy to the equation that you're calling us up to? Or, or Holy Spirit, are you becoming that trainer that's looking us in the eyes and you're going, you can do a little, you can do a little bit more right here. Lord, help us. Help us to not see that as a burden. Your word says that your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. It didn't say that we didn't have any yoke or burden. It just said it was easy and light. You're not calling us to something we can't do. But Lord, you're calling us to something that we need to trust you in. Trust you with our, our priorities in life. Trust you with our, our, our goals and our aspirations. Trust you with how we've designed schedules and all the different things that are available to us in the world we live in. And Lord, it is alluring. I will be the first to confess the world has much alluringness to it. But Lord, this morning, as the house of God and the people of God, and I'm trusting I'm not the only one, Lord, who would agree or pray, but Lord, we're telling you, as alluring as the world may be, our first priority is you. It is you. And so we're allowing, at this moment, you to just shine your light in our hearts and lives. Put a spotlight on us, Lord, and help us to make the decisions that we need to make, the adjustments that we need to adjust, the rearranging that we need to rearrange. Lord, work in us and help us to see it's not the loads heavier, it's the favor will be greater. (laughs) The miracles, we're positioned for it to happen. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I want to ask this question. If you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, if you've never opened up your heart and given your heart to him, or if this morning you would be at a place in your life where you would say to be candid, Pastor, I've walked away from the Lord. I'm not, I'm really, I'm not serving him and I've, I've, I've wandered and And we can debate as to what spiritual state that leaves you in. But truth of the matter is you need to renew that relationship. You may have said yes to him in prior days, but whatever, for whatever reason, you've wandered away. And you know you're alienated. Let let me, can I just say this? At this moment, that may feel like an embarrassing, frustrating place. At this moment, there may be a sense of pride in you that says, you know, what pastor said is true, that's me. And. And I probably ought to address it, but I I, I would hate for anybody to be aware of that. Can I just share this with you? The Bible says that if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt you in due season. But he says that he resists the proud. And, And I just want you to know that God's heart is for you to be favored. His heart is for you to find a place of contentment, satisfaction, His heart is that all your needs might be met according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But I'm just telling you that the lost key to Christianity is the key of humility and the key of brokenness. That's the lost key. It's not just the excitement and the positive message and you go out one more time because we're going to let you be positive. Yeah, you went out positive how many times and you positively have messed your life up again. Why don't you humble yourself? Why don't you just say, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm letting you arrange my life. I'm letting you put things in proper perspective in order that the favor of the Lord may come again. 
I think, I think it's a great decision. I realize in the day we live in, there will be people. Right now, I'll have somebody that will call me again on the phone after listening to me on the Internet. And they'll say, Pastor Barry, man, you just skin people alive. And I'll just grin because we're so not used to being challenged. We're so not used to that. We're so not used to really letting Jesus be Lord of all. We say it, but to be challenged to really let him be Lord of all. And there will be no Gestapo. There will be no SS. There will be no police force come to your house to check up on you. But God will know. And you'll know. So why don't you be honest with him? With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're saying, I need my relationship made right this morning before I go, I just want you to lift your hands right now before we go. Just lift your hands to the Lord. I see some. I see some from all over the building. I'm going to just keep them up for just a minute. Keep them up for just a minute. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down right now. This is what I want to ask you to do, and you know how I do this. Just, I want you right where you're at, if you would. I want you just to slip out, and we're all going to pray for you right now. Just slip out and join me right here. And, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to believe God. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I need some things to get right. Amen. God bless you, sir. How are you? God bless you. God bless you. I want the whole congregation right now to just join us. I want to hear every voice pray right now. Everyone together say, Dear Jesus, I've heard your voice and I accept the challenge your spirit has given me. I recognize my waywardness, my rebellions and sin. I choose now to repent from all of that and walk towards you. I declare you to be Lord, not just in theory, but in reality. I receive you and your precious blood, which cleanses me from all sin. I choose to walk with you with the power provided in the resurrection. I embrace it in Jesus' mighty name. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of my life. And I want this day your favor and your graciousness. And I give you this very day, my very best. I'm going to let you talk to me in every area of my life. You're not out to harm me. You're not out to burn me out. You're out to put me in your favor. And I respond to that. And so I receive your goodness and your empowering grace to succeed in these areas. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord, come on, let's give him our best. Let's give him our best. Lord, we worship you, oh God. We give you our best right now. All of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. We give you all we got. 
Everything. We give you everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Give it all you got. Watch God give all he's got. He will. I'm speaking miracles over you right now. Some of you are. Get ready for some miracles this week. Are you ready for that? If you, I, this is what I believe God will do. If you'll make a step, the slightest of steps toward him, I know my Lord, he'll rush to you. <laughs> so there's some miracles going to happen. How many of you need a miracle this week? To, come on now, just say, Lord, that's me. I'm giving you my best. Lord, I'm putting energy into the areas you've asked me to. I'm going to give you the first fruits of my life. And Lord, I anticipate favor. I anticipate graciousness. I anticipate, Lord, you intervening in my life and situation. I anticipate it. I don't have to wonder, hope so, could it be? Lord, I know if I'm giving you all I got, you'll give me all you got. And that's a good deal. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for doing that today. Thank you, Lord, for the good reports. Thank you, Lord, for making a difference. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before you go, turn around, hug some people around the neck. Tell them it's going to be a good week. Tell them God's going to do great things. Love them and encourage them. And you are released. And I hope to see you in the middle of the week on Wednesday night. God bless you.